Welcome to The Build-Up. I'm Kirk Penhouse. And I'm Arielle Cash. Together, we cover real estate for Crane's Detroit business. We're doing this podcast to give you the inside scoop on commercial real estate. We bring in industry experts to talk about the issues they face today and what challenges they expect for the future. This is The Build-Up. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is Sue Mosey. She's been the director of Midtown Detroit, Inc. and its precursor since the 1980s. In her role, she's been the catalyst for much of the development on Woodward Avenue, north of Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. If you've ever stayed at the Inn on Ferry Street or gone to Noel Night or Electricity, you can thank Sue Mosey. And now she's got a new set of development goals for the area. Sue, thanks for being on with us. Thank you. So... There's long been a rumor that you do not own a cell phone. Um, <laughs> have you gotten one yet? Is that true? I do not use a cell phone. Really? How have you been able to survive in the development industry like without, without being constantly connected and stuff like that? Uh, no one has ever had any problem finding me. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your current vision for Midtown? Well, I think we're at an interesting, you know, an interesting time. So, you know, with COVID... Uh, things have shifted for sure. Some in, I would say, a really positive way. Some have uh, posed, you know, new challenges, I think, for real estate in general. Um, so I think, you know, we've seen some shifting in the residential market. It's still very strong. Um, but because of remote work, I think we're seeing, uh, you know, probably less reliance on office workers and people probably more just choosing to live in the neighborhood. Um, I think we had gotten to a point where a lot of students were really priced out of the market, which we, except maybe graduate students. Um, so I'm hoping that between some of the new workforce housing units that are being developed and um, maybe over time, some, at least we're not getting the type of rent increases we were getting for many, many years that will be a little bit more friendly back to our student population. Uh, that we think is a really critical part of the neighborhood DNA here. But, you know, like everywhere else, for the most part, the residential occupancies have held up pretty well. Rates have held up well. Um, I know now they're expected to start dropping given the, the issues with the economy. But, you know, we've, we've always got a pretty uh, good solid core of uh, residential demand here. Uh, we are looking at a lot of new projects that are going to be under construction next year that will have large numbers of units. Um, but, you know, I always say in Detroit, it takes so long to get a project done. And even if you have two developers start out at the same time, inevitably one's going to be way delayed. And so you're never going to have that many units at one time <laughs> that are really almost ever coming on at the same time, which I actually think is a really good thing. And it puts a lot of, um, sort of discipline in the market out here. And I think that's helped us over time. And I think, you're, you know, we're going to see a similar trend going forward as construction pricing has risen, interest rates are rising. So uh, office, we never were real reliant on office. Thank, thank goodness in Midtown. That's not our bread and butter. We are definitely a large, big transitional housing rental neighborhood. Certainly, uh, over the years, quite a few condos have been developed here, and we certainly have some lovely single-family homes in certain pieces of the district. But the biggest issue facing those folks is just the sunsetting of the NEZs, which are the tax exemptions. And those are really that's a really big issue out here because the tax millage rate 
is completely nonsensical and has to be changed. So there has been some more discussion, or at the very least, maybe um, uh, an, an, in, an increased uh, look at the property tax rate in Detroit and how precisely it's structured. I know there's been some talk about um, maybe maybe implementing something like a split rate system or something like that. Is that something that 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 you think um, your organization can get behind, um, even just sort of at like that that high level? You know, I I know there's a lot of um, developers and uh, agencies that are really pushing the split tax. Um, and I'm, I'm certain it would help in some circumstances. I know it will put a lot more of the burden, uh, uh, you know, on uh, certain sectors of the of property owners. I don't know that it's a magic bullet for us out here, but I mean, as an immediate relief, I would certainly like to see the city and the state work together to extend the current NEZs that are out there. Uh, just for another 15 years um, to really at least build the bridge to when there's a longer term solution to the tax rate, um, which is just completely untenable. And I don't know if people really understand in really dollars and cents what they're talking about. So we built a home that's 1,400 square feet that we retained ownership of um, as an affordable house. We have a family living in the house. And that 1,400 square foot house has taxes of $18,000 a year. You know, like, doesn't even come near to, to covering it with the rent that we get for the house, right? And, but I only say that so people actually know what the millage rate in Detroit and how severe that rate is and how non-competitive that has made the city uh, for attracting a strong for sale residential base, um, so that's that that has to be resolved. In terms of attracting residents, I know for a, uh, quite some time there was, a, I believe, it was called the Live Midtown program. Mm -hmm. um, is that still in place? And, and, and if so, is it is it still needed, or um, are, are other sort of like residential incentives to get people to move into the area still needed? No, that was a wildly successful program. We actually raised ten million dollars for that program. And it ran over a five-year period, and it included down to some of the downtown employers, and it included geographies that included like Corktown and Eastern Market, Riverfront, New Center, Midtown, Woodbridge. I mean, it included some broader geographies than, than just our district. Um, but we found there was a tremendous amount of pent-up demand on the, on the part of workers in these uh, institutions and in these downtown employers to want to move to the city. The vast majority of the money was used on rental incentives. And we also provided um, incentives for folks who work for the institutions and the employers that already live there. So if you live there, you also got a rental incentive, you know, is to make it a fair program for people. Uh, but we moved in thousands of people uh, during that period of time. And it's what really, really, I think, in large part, help make the coming out of that recession a lot less damaging um, because when we brought that program online, we were the tail end of the recession. The condo project that we had out here, there were still a lot of condos to move. Not tons, but I mean, there could have been a hundred uh, condos on the, uh, on the market during the tail end of that recession. And, you know, we had over a hundred um, buyers uh, with the residential incentive we gave for the for sale purchases. Now, the buyers got really good deals, 
And the sellers still took a haircut because of the recession and the all the situation with the condo uh, mortgage financing. But it ended up allowing a lot of just workforce people in the neighborhood to buy a great condo that they might have bought for a hundred thousand in the height of the depression that they turned around and were able to sell for four or five hundred thousand down the line. So, you know, I mean, talk about building wealth. There were a lot of people that were not of high means uh, that were able to buy into the neighborhood. Many of them still live here. Um, so we really think that that it was very diverse. Um, it was a pretty good equal mix between African-Americans and everybody else utilizing the program. It was a really nice mix of people in all different job categories uh, so we felt really good about the program, that it really was a very equitable and um, good program for the anchor institutions, for the employers, and for all the folks that were able to benefit from using it. Um, so then that sunsetted after five years. Uh, do we need it today? Probably not. Um, I mean, COVID has, I think, created some shifts in the market a little bit, like I said, but we've been managing to fill those units. I think with new uh, new categories of potential residents, like I say, maybe you're you know a workforce person working in the you know working in the uh, restaurants here, or you know there's been a lot of new businesses that have opened that have created new employment. So uh, we've managed to really kind of still fill the uh, you know fill the uh, those units. Can you talk a little bit more about the effects of the pandemic? You've mentioned it a couple times, but what does it look like and how does it affect those new projects going forward? Uh, well, I, you know, I think the biggest challenges for the new projects isn't even so much the pandemic. I mean, it's more been the construction pricing, which, of course, is tied to the supply chain issues. Um, and then it's really also due to the increasing, you know, uh, interest rates, which of course is sort of tied to all the money that was spent during, you know, COVID. So, I mean, there is, kind of a, there is kind of an indirect relationship, but, um, uh, you know, I think that, uh, the development projects, people have not given up on those projects, right? Most of them have too much money already invested. Like you can't just walk away from real estate deals if you're already in them, you know, it's very, very hard to just take that kind of a haircut. So mostly people wait out the market or they, uh, look for other creative sources of new subsidy. Uh, they modify their projects to be bigger or smaller. Um, they might move from office to residential. Uh, you know, they might move from retail to experiential stuff. You know, so there's a lot of, you know, moving pieces. Um, but people are very creative and pretty smart. And they usually figure out how to pivot somehow over a period of time. Uh, to still um, develop on their property or their buildings. So, um, you know, we have a couple of really big projects that we hope are underway next year that I think will be, including the large City Club Midtown project, which will have our new urban format Target store um, that will sit pretty close to Whole Foods. Um, and I think that will help both of those retailers. Um, and then, uh, you know, I believe the AC hotel will also move forward, uh, which includes a beautiful renovation of the bond style, which is also a high priority for us. We're big on historic preservation as a tool for, uh, redevelopment always have been here. So I think we're going to start seeing some of the bigger projects, um, get going early next year, uh, that will again, I think bring confidence again, back to the real estate market, uh, that even though we're entering into some you know, challenging times that they're still fundamental, the fundamentals are still here. 
for developing certain types of uh, of, of uh, projects. Do you have the same optimism for the mid? I actually do. Um, now, you know, one piece uh, that they're looking at trying to bring online first is that co-living tower. And they've been working hard to get a lender for that. And I think are pretty close to that. Um, and then I believe the hospitality piece will come along probably after uh, potentially the, uh, the co-living tower gets funded. Now, we only have one other co-living development in the area, and it's the union at Midtown that's been here for a long time, but it's another co-living uh, opportunity. It's about 150 beds. It's, it's been full since it opened. Uh, so I believe that there is unmet uh, demand for more of that style of living for medical residents, medical students, um, you know, and others. So uh, especially if it's high, if it's really nicely designed and has really attractive amenities built in. So um, anyway, so, you know, again, most projects, you know, I've been here 35 years. Uh, there haven't been a ton of projects that have not eventually come to completion. You know, many have, you know, started out two years, maybe they got to five years, you know, whatever, uh, for a lot of different reasons. And we have a lot of developers in the neighborhood that do multiple projects, right? Well, the reality is most of them only have the bandwidth, whether it's on the financial side, whether it's on the project management side, you know, property management side, they only handle maybe one at a time, you know? So uh, it does extend, I think, some of the uh, the timeline for how quickly you can really, you know, bring in the development. Um, because, you know, we still don't have a lot of um, regional, uh, out, of sta out state or national developers really working in the greater downtown. And we have a few, they tend to be smaller, uh, now we have nationals that are from Detroit working, right? That also do national projects. Uh, or we have nationals that are in here because there's a, a strong Detroit connection um, in those, whether it's a capital equity fund, you know, whatever. There are some very important people making big contributions uh, in the greater downtown um, because they have a passion for the city. They believe uh, that the city has real potential, uh, and they also, you know, have an affinity and want to see this city do well. Uh, and so we're lucky we have quite a few of those people, but we really, really need to get to a point where it's just sort of an organic situation that somebody from Grand Rapids or somebody from Chicago or Pittsburgh or, you know, um, Phoenix or, you know, wherever, like would um, deliberately really want to make an investment in Detroit. And I think the taxes are a huge barrier to that, quite frankly, the tax rate, because the market has demonstrated to be pretty strong across the board, whether you're in hotels or you're in, you know, retail or you're in, uh, you're in residential. So, um, I, I, you know, I think that's probably when I would say that we have really gotten to a point in our development uh, that we can say uh, we're pretty stabilized and growing uh, is when we start to see some of those bigger nationals start showing up in the in the greater downtown. You brought up a preservation a minute ago. Um, obviously, Midtown Detroit is, has a you know long track record in in preserving old properties and 
asking others to preserve old properties as well. But we, we also just a minute ago talked about a whole bunch of new high-rise construction that, that's planned. I'm wondering how you sort of balance those two, uh, the mix between the preserved, but also the new and stitching those two together. What, what's your sort of vision of that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, that's, I think that is obviously the optimal uh, for any district in a, in a downtown area is that you combine those two because you're definitely going to have people who want to live in older, renovated facilities and are really drawn to that. And you're also going to have people who really just want new construction and very contemporary design. So I think that Detroit is lucky that it has in pretty much all the districts, I think, been evolving into a pretty nice model of a combination, even on blocks, right? Um, just even mixed use blocks. So uh, not just new and old, but types of uses as well uh, that are kind of intermixed. You know, we had all the zoning redone in the almost the entire neighborhood, um, maybe five, over five years ago. And that just allows for a way bigger mix of uses throughout the whole district. It reduces parking requirements. I mean, there's a huge amount of benefits from the special district rezoning that we did throughout the whole neighborhood, both New Center and Midtown. So um, I think that has really helped. Um, you know, we we brought in a lot of local historic districts for sure, and a lot of national ones uh, over all my 35 years here. And part of that is to make sure that we do try to preserve as much of the important historic properties that we have left. We've lost a lot. Um, we certainly don't want to lose more um, because that is well, that's one of our biggest competitive edges is really having that unique mix, both in size and scale and design and of the of the new and the old together. So, you know, they're, they're, it's important for a district like ours to try to maintain that kind of a character. So um, speaking of the new and the old, um, obviously, this neighborhood was not always named Midtown. It was originally, at the very least, um, up, up until it was named Midtown, known as the Cass Quarter. Can you take us back a little bit about the strategy behind changing the name and why that was done? Well, it never was just the Cass Corridor. So our boundary area actually goes all the way from uh, 375 all the way up to, so it includes the Brush Park and the South Cass neighborhood. So uh, also Medical Center neighborhood, North Cass, South Cass, Art Center, Wayne State, uh, so there is a lot of individual neighborhoods out there. So the only reason why we ended up really trying to come up with sort of um, branded um, district-wide name is because nobody could ever figure out what to call anything in this in these in these disparate neighborhoods. So you know it was like oh you know we're nobody would say well we're over by the art center and then the medical center. I mean, nobody was understanding like there's an operating district that we're trying to get people to cross visit. We're trying to get people to think bigger than making an investment on one block and one small part of the neighborhood. Um, and we pretty much knew like almost every city, almost every uh, significant sized city in the country is a midtown, like almost every single one. There's a reason for it. And it's always in the same area. It's in an area north of downtown that has a bunch of institutions and a bunch of multifamily buildings, and it's always called Midtown, right? And, um, and they probably had old, you know, original, smaller district names. And, you know, we were very clear to people from the, from the beginning, like Midtown's the overarching name for a much bigger district 
but everybody's neighborhood names still stay intact. You know, everybody should promote their own Cass Corridor, North Cass, South Cass, Art Center, Medical Center, Wayne State. Um, that's all fine. But that is not going to be understandable to people who are looking to make investments in a broader geography that creates an economic system of which you have to be able to describe, provide data around, just from a plain market analysis. You can't just take the North Cass area and make a case for investment in Detroit. Like, you're not going to get there. You're not going to have the numbers. You're not going to have the context. You're not going to have the adjacencies to all the institutions. I mean, you have to view this as kind of like one market, one kind of hyper-local market in the city. And that's the way we've always had to approach trying to knit all of these disparate, smaller neighborhoods. And they're all very distinct in their characters. And that's why I think, you know, always use your local name if you're a local resident or a business uh, tied to that as well, you know. Uh, and uh, why wouldn't you, if you're an art center, want to, people to know you're by the museums and you're in an arts area, you know, that's great. Um, but if you're going to talk to somebody in another state, uh, especially like a business that you're trying to get to come here, they look for similar characteristic neighborhoods across the country, you know, and, um, you know, Midtown was, is very appealing to, to a lot of regional, uh, even Metro businesses because they understand like what's in it. You know, it's got a university, it's got an art college, got some hospitals, you know, it's got a bunch of multifamily student housing, you know, so that is why it's important. So you've been at the helm of the organization for north of three decades now. Have you started thinking about succession planning, so to speak, or, or retirement? And if so, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be here that much longer because, you know, I'm getting old. So to be honest, so, you know, I, I do have some things on my bucket list that I want to try and get done uh, before I leave. So I'm working very hard on a number of things that I really think that I probably am uniquely positioned to try and help get over the finish line. Um, and then the rest will have to be left to our board to figure out how they move forward. What are those things on the bucket list? And, and um, in addition, have you set like even sort of internally, like, well, I'll, I'll be done at the end of 23. I'll be done at the end of 25 or whatever. No, not yet. But I mean, um, there's definitely getting some of these bigger projects that people have been working on for years that I think are, you know, they own the land. They've spent a lot of money. Like, I really want to see those people get their projects done and get and, and be successful. Like, that is a huge, I mean, I'm not in control of all of that, but I certainly try to help in any way I can um, to move those kinds of projects forward. We've mentioned a lot of them, Paul, already. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, uh, I'm helping the Virginia Park Block Club get their street, hopefully, rebricked. Uh, that's been a high priority for me for years, uh, every time I drive down that street. Uh, so I am working with them and the city and the state, and we're hoping, uh, no guarantees, but we're hoping we're going to find a good way to get that done. Um, I am very interested in uh, my, my small businesses here and just trying to get everybody who's got a great business and 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 due to no fault of their own, many have had to pivot and do lots of things and, and handle a lot of stress over the last so many years. 
Um, I want to continue to try and raise funds and work with them to make sure we can stabilize all the really good, passionate um, entrepreneurs we have in the neighborhood. We have a lot of new businesses that, are, that will be announced and coming in in the not too distant future. So I want to help them become as stable as I can. Um, so I, I really care about the small businesses a lot in the neighborhood. And I think they're also very important to uh, attracting uh, market here. So that that's going to be remain a big priority of, of ours. Any of those businesses you want to tell our, our listeners about now? Nope, I cannot. <laughs> Fair enough. What would you say your biggest failure in business um, has been and how did you overcome it? Um, in, in business or just in real estate? In your, in your long career at Midtown? Um, I'd say for me, it's probably like I, I always am willing to take a lot of risk you know, like a lot of risk on um, real estate. I take a lot of risk on um, uh, small business. I take a lot of risk out here. But I've found over the years that um, it's it's really hard to move the needle on, uh, on the neighborhood in terms of, um, especially on the market side, growing rents or... Uh, uh, attracting more residents or anything, if you're not really willing to take quite a bit of risk. And um, I don't know that that's probably the greatest idea going for, for someone in real estate to do. Um, and probably few people would do it. And I don't know if I'd do it again, but, um, uh, you know, I, I think probably maybe a little more risk averse might have been a good idea. Sue, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It was great to chat with you. Okay, thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah as always, Bye-bye. very informative. Thanks for your time, too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Build-Up, a production of Cranes Detroit Business. You can learn more and read our stories and hear more podcasts at www.cranesdetroit.com. Hear all the episodes on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts.